Matthew's going to read the scripture for us today. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and on. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, Let me pray for us one more time. God, we, we thank you for this community. We thank you for this time to listen in to... Um, what your spirit is stirring in others and what we're doing. We're so thankful for last week, for all the stories shared, for just how you're at work and how our community is processing life and life with you. Um, we just pray for um, just your spirit to do something unique in this summer season um, in us, so you would um, bond us together greater, that you would create us in us a, a sense of, of awakening, a sense of turning from the way of we've, we were living to the way that you want us to live. God, we just we pray for transformation, I guess, in this season. Um, change in us that you would dramatically make uh, life grow from, from dry soil. Uh, that you would, you would do a mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm really excited today because we're starting a new series. I've never taught on a series that had like a, an angle of a philosophical bent. So we're really kind of doing a sermon series. I'm calling it God and the Good Life, a quest for meaning, beauty, connection, justice, faith, and happiness. Um, I think it's very important because uh, I think post-pandemic, there's a little bit of a existential angst in the air. I don't know, maybe it's just me. A lot of times when you do, and this is fun for me because it's like, uh, doing a series that I would want to do. Um, sometimes um, it's like me, me re- I don't know if you heard the phrase, like research is me search. Um, and so uh, there's, there's the sense of like me wanting to just dive more into like, what does it mean to live a life of meaning? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the post pandemic, maybe it's a midlife crisis, whatever, you know. Um, but uh, it, it, I think it's really important uh, to think through how Jesus was like a a philosopher, like he was a sage of his time, like back then philosophy. And what I want to disclaim here is now philosophy versus then philosophy. Um, now philosophy is kind of like, let's read something and let's deconstruct it. And like, and it, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to like tear this apart. Um, back then philosophy was much more of a way of life. So when I'm talking about the word philosophy, I'm talking about a, a way of living that philosophers would call it the good life. What is the good life, Right. What the questions we're going to be asking is, what does it look like for a human life to go well? What leads to human flourishing or happiness or success? What is love? What is the basis for our ethics? What is, what is, uh, some philosophers call this the transcendental. Say transcendental. The transcendental is the three are good, true, and beautiful. So say that with me good, true, and beautiful. Okay. Thank you for those who participated. Um, So, what, what that thought is, is whatever is good is also true and beautiful. So like if it's beautiful, it also has to be good. 
and it has to be true. Like So there's this trifecta trinity going on between these values that point to something higher. And so today I'm going to kind of intro the series, and then I want to talk about meaning. Uh, what does it mean to live a life of meaning? Um, so, not that I have it figured out, but uh, I want to just share some things that I've learned. Um, in some weeks we'll take like a case study. Uh, today, Life of Meaning, we'll do a little case study on Viktor Frankl at the end. Um, but we'll do a little bit of, because sometimes it's better to like have a story of a person's life than just abstract thoughts. But there's sometimes, uh, I just want to start with this, there's art in the world that's so moving that sometimes makes you think of your own death, uh, your own mortality. Um, and so maybe it was because I missed out on the Taylor Swift concert that my <laughs> kids went to, my wife, and I saw the transcendental, true, good, and beautiful moment. I mean, everyone was just having a euphoria experience, crying, tears, screaming. It was, it was amazing. But I was thinking about music that makes me think about my, my funeral. Like, what is the things that make me think about? Not in a morbid way. It's more of in a like, man, like, and I think I thought about Frank Ocean's Pink and White. I don't know if you've ever heard this song. Um, You can go listen to it later. You're welcome. Um, And it evokes uh, a moment. I think, one, it's nostalgic for me. Not that I listened to it when I was a kid, but in 2018, like, we took a sabbatical to, like, Big Sur, and this is, like, was one of the songs on my playlist during road trips and so it's very nostalgic to me, um, and it's a moment that makes me really think and ponder my death. Um, I don't know if it's a soulful voice, or if it's the bass, or if it's Beyonce singing in the background. It's, it's probably Beyonce, um, but it makes me ponder that. Another song um, is 0000 Million by Bon Iver. It's the last song on the track of the album, and it's this hymn-like song, um, we should just probably play some of this stuff in, in, in the middle of a sermon or something. But um, it, it's one of the songs where uh, when he first introduced the song, he actually just played piano and passed out a hymnal to all the audience to sing along. Um, so these, these songs that do this, that make us think about what is life all about. Um, these are, this is what I would call existential angst. Have you ever had these moments? We are these moments of existential angst where meaning and purpose that we have a life. We exist and therefore have to find meaning as humans, and therefore, we're very unique. We're unique from the rest of the universe. Like, uh, my son really wanted a fish, and we got him a fish, and he named him Thunder Dragon. <laughs> Thunder Dragon lived for three days. It's very sad. My daughter and my son made a funeral for him in the backyard. We buried Thunder Dragon. We set up a memorial and my daughter led us in an officiating of what was good about Thunder Dragon. And we sang songs. We buried him. And she talked about and prayed for us as we, you know. But Thunder Dragon didn't ponder the meaning of life. All right? Like, we replaced Thunder Dragon with Quill, named after Peter Quill. And uh, Quill is now alive. And Quill doesn't think about the meaning of life. Now, Ashley and I think about the meaning for Quill. Like, oh, like... Is he going to be better in this spot, or can we get him good feeding? Like we, we might even argue what's best for Quill, um, but Quill doesn't ponder this. Like he doesn't have a sense of mortality. He doesn't sit up and wonder at night. Like what is the meaning of all this? Like why water? You know, like what? Is, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't. Is this water? Have we? Do other fish know about water? Like Quill doesn't do that. Um, but I do. I sit up at night and wonder what life is all about. Um, humans have this distinct quality of knowing others' morta- others' mortality. 
And all of religion, spirituality, are it's a quest for salvation. It's a quest for, um, like, we don't want our life to be wasted. Um, and I think summer's a great time um, to ponder these things because you're going to be, hopefully, experiencing some beauty this summer. And whenever you're experiencing beauty, you're going to be traveling. It's a great time of reflection. What is, and so my question for you to this is, do you have a telos? A telos is a Greek word that means a finality, a goal for your life. Do you have your grand goal for your life? Why are you alive? Now, many of us will have trouble naming this goal. I, I think it's a challenging question. Our culture actually doesn't encourage us to think about these things. Our culture actually tries our best to distract us long enough to not think about these things, um, to fill our life with algorithms that will say, hey, don't think about that question. Because if you think about that question, you're not going to consume this technology. Um, So we're in competition with the question, the grand telos. I don't know if you guys remember Netflix, the interview where they were talking about Netflix's growth and CEO. And he's like, yeah, our main competition is sleep. That's our main competition is it we're trying to, to, to win over right now. Um, that's why Netflix has about four seconds between that next show starts, right? Because they know if we give you a little too much time, you're going to think about maybe I should connect with someone else. Maybe I should do something else. Um, and so, no, I'm not here to like bash. You shouldn't leave here and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm watching Netflix. We all kind of need mindless activity. Like, it's nothing wrong with that. But um, we also need to think deeply about the meaning of life. Um, And so um, this is why it's important to have a philosophy of life. Without without a philosophy of life, there's a danger that you will mislive, that you will have misplaced living. Okay, so do you feel this? Do you feel that, like, anybody else ever feel that pit in your stomach or maybe even feel it right now as I talk? Have that feeling of, like, what am I doing with my life feeling? Um, And uh, there's a British phrase that, that's called, like, you've, you, I think it's you've lost the plot. Um, you've lost the plot. It's the sense of, like, you've lost the meaning or the point. Um, this can happen through, through a job change. It can happen through random existential crisis, losing a friend or a loved one or a midlife crisis. Or we get to push to and fro. We, we get pushed to and fro by other people's agendas. And everyone has an agenda for your life. Um, to get honest with you, though, I would say that the church or we have an agenda for your life, too. Uh, or, or in other words, our agenda is to help you show you Jesus' agenda for your life. Uh, Jesus has an agenda for your life. And I want to show you that I think that that agenda is very, very good and very beautiful and very true. Um, Stephen Covey, he wrote that there's two problems in the world, knowing what you want and not knowing how to get it, or two, not knowing what you want. And I don't know about you, but I think that second question really um, hits a lot of us. Like, what do I want? And I love, this question has always been very powerful for me in my meditation or reflection time. Jesus comes and he asks the question to two people. There's a blind man, and he comes to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? It's a beautiful question. And that's the question that Jesus does for all of us. He gives us this wide open place don't dress it up with religious language. Don't give me a church answer. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. I want you to tell me right now, without any, any filter, what is it that you want me to do for you? And that question allows God to do a lot of work. A lot of times we fill that in with the American dream answers. I want a family. I want kids. I want to make a lot of money. I want to be successful. 
I want to have a great job. We do these things, yet we do these things and yet get to the end of life and still feel empty, right? We still feel void of all these things. We think that these are the, that's why like every famous person that's ever written a memoir, like you can't write a memoir without like, I had it all and yet I felt empty. Like Will Smith, Matthew Perry, whoever you want to think of. Like that's the, the this is the story of so many people that I, I've missed the danger of misliving. The danger of misliving. Um, have you guys seen the movie Soul? It's a cartoon. Okay, some of you. Um, it's a cartoon. It's a great movie. Um, there's this. There's this scene where they they go to heaven. They go to the like intermediary state of of, of in between like life, uh, heaven and, and earth. And they're showing all these people, and they're talking about how they're in the zone. They're in the flow state, which is a great principle if you ever research like flow. Um, and they see like people doing art. They're like, oh yeah, they're in the flow. And like, watch this. I like to mess them up, and they like you know mess up the flow. Um, but there's this person. There's this blob creature. And they're like, what's their zone? They're like, oh, that's, they call, that's a lost soul. That's, that's a person who went after the thing they loved and made the thing they loved ultimate, and they made, became a slave to it. Like that, that, and they're like these little creatures, like, meow, 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 meow. you know, and, they're, and they like throw, you know, they, there's one that's like a stockbroker, and he hits him with a staple, and he's like, I'm alive! You're right. anyway, you just have to see it. Um, our attention has been hijacked. And it has primarily been hijacked by advertising business models that are not dra- driving us to make us more wise. I, I, I think these little phones, if I can get to it, these things right here are the most dangerous tool in our life right now. I know it is for me. This is the most dangerous tool in our life. And I'm not trying to do some like weird thing to make you feel weird about how, I mean, we all have to have one. We're all going to use them. But I've never met someone that was like, my day would have gone so much better if I just spent a little more time on my phone. Anybody? <laughs> Anybody ever say that? Like, I don't, no one's ever said that. That's never happened. Usually it's the opposite. Our phones rule our attentions. Today, the average American spends over seven hours a day at a screen. And this is by design. This is, our, this is by design. So Jesus' vision for your life is much greater. Jesus came as a teacher and a rabbi, and a good way of looking at Jesus again is like as a sage. Like he was coming in a time of philosophy, like Socrates and all those people, he, he, uh, uh, Aristotle, and he was, he was showing the good life. And Jesus was the happiest, most fulfilled, flourishing person that has ever lived. Like if you lived in the time of Jesus, you're like, I want to be with that guy. Like his life is flourishing. Um, he embodied God, and the scriptures continually talk about how happy he was. And actually says that it was joy set before him that drove him to the cross. So what drove Jesus to the cross was joy. Like he lived this, um, he, he was the, the, the happiest person on earth. We think of Jesus as kind of the stoic, maybe talk Spock-like. Oh, I don't care if I live or die. You know, like we, we think of Jesus as like this person with itchy clothes, just very uncomfortable, you know. I, I, Jesus was like at wedding parties. He was he was he was he was accused of being a drunkard, a drunkard and a glutton, because he was at so many parties, living his life to the fullest. But his life wasn't just about then. Then it was also the sense of like I'm going to die, and that's going to bring me joy because I'm going to bring so many other people alive through my death. 
Um, so I want to read this passage. The passage for today is um, Mark 8. And Mark 8 says, Jesus says this. And this is one of those passages that people are like, when I think of church, like, ew, this is why I don't go. Like passages like this, they're just not fun, right? Um, but I want to show you that what I think Jesus is getting at is so much more to the surface. Um, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus, the, the th- couple points here I want to point out. Number one, it's easy to mislive. It's easy to mislive. It's easy to go after the whole world. Like we're like those, you know, babies just put everything in their mouth. Like adults are just the same. It's like, I want to put everything in my mouth. Like, I just want to eat. I just want it all. Like, can we have it all? No, you, you, we can't have it all. The, the world wants to tell you, you can have it all. Um, and the first thing Jesus is saying is it is very possible to mislive. You may be asking, like, does this mean internal soul or soul right now um, the, that, that we would lose? I mean, I would say the answer is yes. But Jesus is not talking about heaven here. Jesus is saying you might gain the whole world and get everything you want and lose the point of the good life and be dead inside, like that memoir. You can have sex, money, travel, experiences, marriage, fame, youthful looks, and not be satisfied. And second thing is Jesus wants your life to be saved, not in the like, Go to heaven sense, but in what we're talking about as a, here Jesus is saying this as a philosopher. I want you to experience the good life. I want you to experience the good life. I want you to be experiencing salvation, which is the whole point of quest of meaning, beauty, truth, justice, and goodness. So on surface, Jesus is like, I want you to die, but he's wanting you to have a way to live. And so what dies is the super, superficial version of you dies. Right? The false self of you dies. And Jesus is saying, this is, this is a way, way to live. This is, this is the way to deny yourself, to come after me, and take up your cross. Um, and so uh, Jesus is saying that there's ways to... Now, just a little caveat. I didn't want to do a whole... Te- there's a whole other way I would approach this more of an expositional sermon. I want to say, like, we've totally missed the plot on this passage. We sometimes will say, you know, like, oh, I have this thing, and it's just my cross to bear... You know, I, I don't think what Jesus is getting at here is like pro-suffering. What he's, he, he, he's saying that there's a, a, I want you to flourish so much that there's a, there's a false self that needs to die. Um, and so speaking of, of this, I, um, I want to talk about meaning and suffering for a moment. I want to talk about Viktor Frankl. So Viktor Frankl, if you've never read him, wrote a book called The Man's Search for Meaning. Anybody heard of this book? Some of you? If you haven't, um, what's interesting and fun is uh, if you, Jimmy Fallon um, almost ripped off his finger. Um, I don't remember this. Um, but he was like, yeah, I was in the hospital for days and like read Viktor Frankl. And it changed my life. <laughs> He's like serious. They're like laughing. It's like, no, I'm serious. He's like, I'm serious. Um, and uh, he, he, it, it, Viktor Frankl um, wrote, went through the German uh, concentration camps. He lived through concentration camps. And uh, he f- he, he learned how to find meaning in this utter degradation. And um, he says, I'm not going to like put a dry theory out there. I'm just going to tell you what I saw in concentration camps. He's like, I saw my body melt away to my skin and bones. 
Yet, he said, like, I still had freedom. I had an ultimate freedom that you couldn't take away. And so he talks about, like, this sense that um, you're, not, you're not free to determine what happens to you in life, but you are free, like in the Nazi death camp, on how you respond, on how you respond. And he begins to uh, talk about, like, suffering as this opportunity for spiritual growth. To partake in the human condition is um, I was teaching. I was actually get, I had a chance to teach a grad school class with with, uh, with Elizabeth at North Park, and um, I was I was trying to define spirituality to these psychology students in a way that I thought was and, and to me my definition was spirituality because there's so many was so many people are spiritual like eighty percent of all people say they're they're spiritual. Um, for me, spirituality is to wrestle with the human condition. What does it mean to wrestle with this fact that there's meaning and beauty in life? Like, what does it mean to believe in God and yet wrestle with suffering in the world and what, like, my doubts and all my questions and all my wonders and wonder, doubting what I believe but yet believing? And what does it mean to say, like, I'm an atheist and I don't believe yet I still find meaning in life and I still see things that are beautiful. I still fall in love and yet I'm frustrated because it doesn't really line up. And I always wonder every single day, am I wrong? So, like, no matter where you are on that spectrum, you're rest, those are both spiritual things, wrestling with the meaning of, of, like, the human condition. Like, what is this human condition? And um, we find meaning, in, in, and Viktor Frankl says we find meaning in a couple of things. One is creating a work or, or, or doing a deed. The other is experiencing another person. The other is encountering something, or all, all of which, he says, requires love. Love is the only way to grasp another human being in their totality. And so when he talks about leaving concentration camps and all the people who were killed, he, he, he begins to, to talk about um, he knew that those who were going to die and, and commit suicide were those who began to smoke their cigarettes because the cigarettes were used to trade in for food. It was a moment that he knew that they had given up hope. And... I think about this because I'm like, what kind of person would I have been like in a Nazi camp? Like, I don't know. I don't think any of us would know fully. I have no way of knowing, but it's a worthwhile exercise. I would encourage you to just take a moment and ponder, like, what would I, what would I be like? What would I have gone through? And, you know, I'm, I'm very, I think I'm myself as very strong. I think of myself as a fighter, resilient. I don't fear a whole lot, but I can't imagine seeing what he saw and, and then going, at some point, going, just check out. You know what? It's not worth it. I'm checking out. I mean, literally, people would run to the electric fence. And the thought of who was waiting for them at home, he said, was also another part that kept them going. Knowing that there was loved ones at home that was waiting for them. So the more you love, the happier a person you will be. And love is not like a pie. We often think of our love like a resource. Like, I can only love this much. I can't love too much more. I can't keep giving of myself too much more to others uh, because I'll, I'll lose the resource. Love doesn't work that way. Love's not like a pie. With love, it doesn't, it, it, the more the merrier. It doesn't diminish, right? Kids think this way. That's still a very childlike, you know, I don't know if, you, if you've been around kids, they're like usually attached to one parent more than the other at certain times. Or they'll be like, I really love mom, but I love you a little less, dad. I'm sorry to tell you, but you know, like they, they don't fully understand the difference between like attachment and love. And this is a very childlike way of thinking. 
To think that, that, that my, my love resource is going to run dry. No, the more you love, the more you grow, the more you have hope, the more you have resiliency and, and have what you need to face despair and adversity. And so um, Frankel said that the, only, the men who allowed their inner hold on moral and spiritual selves to subside were the ones who fell victim to death. Um, Primo Levi will go on to write, uh, he's an Italian uh, Jewish physicist, that the one he observed did the same experiment, Frankel did. And he said, the one thing that caused men to not die was pondering poetry and psalms that kept them human. And so we can learn from these lessons, like this sense of, man, this is, hope is a very big deal. We all need a sense of hope. Um, and every human being has like, to have some relation to forms of wisdom to living a life. And there's no love without killing of our own ego. Love is transformation, transformative. Um, and so what happens when you cease, cease uh, when love ceases, you, it, it, when love ceases, um, sorry, what I'm getting at is, when love ceases uh, with just yourself, when you're, you're only loving yourself, you stay the same. But when you're in relationship with others in love, you change. You transform. You're not the same person. Uh, it, love takes on many, many forms, right? We all love a lot of things. Some people love Nickelback. I don't know who they are. Some people love Taylor Swift. But there's a sense of like attaching that love to something greater where compassion as a moral practice is love that moves you, uh, moves away from the lack of care for others into more love for others. Transformation takes place when we begin to love others and love society and must have forms of uh, a society with compassion and, and a sense of critical sensibility and, and concern for meaning. Um, and so I, I, I say all this to say that like your life has meaning. So what, let me go back to the question. What is your telos? What is your grand goal? And are you setting up time to ponder that grand goal? Now, not that, I don't, I'll, I'll say a caveat. Like, I don't know if that grand goal is ever static. So don't, I don't think you need to think of it as like a static thing. Like, I figured it out. And it's a, it's a, I think that quest never ends. I think that's what it means to be human. Is the quest for beauty and truth and goodness never ends. You're never going to arrive to the place. But that quest is also what makes us most loving, most human, most with a life of meaning. When I think about those who deeply animate a sense of who I am, I think of like Jesus. I think of other people like Martin Luther King Jr. I think of they're all were incarcerated, murdered, mistreated. And when we attempt to live the good life, we must not worry about popularity we must be committed to integrity, honesty, compassion, love, and decency. And my heart for you this morning is that you would have like the courage to really work against these forces against you to really press into this question, what is my goal of my life? And, and, to, and to do it with a smile and a sense of humor and to laugh at yourself and to be fortified, to go down fighting and swinging, um, to go on this quest of like, what is meaning? So um, I want to end with this, uh, a couple of things. One is a quote and one is an, an, a, a picture. The quote is from Jonathan Pennington, Jesus, the great philosopher. He says, the flourishing and happy life does not happen accidentally. It must be sought after. 
And the means of pursuit is the life of discipleship to a philosophy, a way of seeing and being in the world that is pursued and practiced. First, become aware of yourself, then turn away from foolish and non-life-giving habits and thoughts. In biblical language, repent. And then over time, learn new ways of living through failures and successes in practice. Jonathan Penton, Jesus the Great Philosopher. Um, so I, 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 Jesus is, uh, the word used of Jesus, and I'm going to close here and Damien come up, and, um, is used the word logos of him. Like he's the one who holds everything together. together. He's the one that explains the meaning of the whole universe. Um, it's kind of the word used for him. You guys hanging in there with me? I know this is a very intellectual sermon. So, you know, hang in there with me for this week and next week, a couple weeks. But what I want to get at is this. Jesus is like holding it all together. And our society, the way we, the, the mode or philosophy of life in our culture right now is, is kind of like, I don't know, if you, I think about the, all the movie streamings. You got like, okay, what will, you ever gone through this moment where you're like, where was that movie? Was it Netflix? Was it Hulu? Was it Amazon Prime? Was it Apple? Was it like, wait, uh, was it, you're going to go through the whole thing. Oh, Hulu, uh, Netflix. And then um, we've, like, unbundled all these things. Like, we need something to kind of, like, put them all together. I think that was called cable. Like we, we <laughs> and in our society, we are really good at unbundling. We've unbundled religion. We've unbundled faith. We've unbundled psychology. We've unbundled everything and just, like, just basically critiqued everything to death. That is the mode of being. And Jesus is saying, like, I have come to bundle all things under me. I, all things, I hold all things together. Like, I think our way as Christians often are like, yeah, Jesus, but I'm going to go get, like, wisdom from this guru here, this guru here. I'm going to listen to this guru. And then, like, and maybe sprinkle some Jesus in there. Jesus is like, no, no, like, I hold all things together. I am the way, the truth, the ultimate beauty of what is true. Fix your eyes on me. I mean, the invitation today is kind of through a picture, as a picture of uh, Death Valley. So I feel like Death Valley is, as you know, um, never gets rain. It's always dry. It's the driest place on the, on, in the United States. Nothing can grow there. Um, but there was a year, I think 2016, it got like a bunch of rain out of nowhere. And next slide. This bloom, what do they call it, the super bloom? Super bloom happened. So Death Valley wasn't dead. Death Valley was dormant. So I think a lot of times we feel like, you know, my life might feel dead or, or buried, that human condition of being buried. But uh, one of our other pastors used this for uh, uh, Good Friday. He says, is your life buried or is it planted? Is it buried or is it planted? So I want to encourage you in this season that your life is not dead if you don't feel like you have meaning right now you're just dormant (laughs) there's still soil and goodness and life ready to be bloomed you just have to get in the right environment you have to get around the right people you have to get a change of mind you have to go through that metamorphosis you are being crystallized right now in a in a as a as a butterfly being birthed and so as you might feel like that first picture i want to encourage you that All is not wasted. All is not lost. Um, It's only dormant. It's only ready for rain to come and life to grow. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. Um, We pray that you would give all of us a sense of meaning 
not in a superficial way or in a short-term way, but just like pondering, like what, what does it look like to live a life of, of no regrets? Um, what does it look like to live a life of purpose? What is my purpose? Sometimes that's found in our pain. Um, sometimes that's found like with our imagination of God's kingdom and the future, knowing what's to come. But God, I pray that you would make us people who create beautiful things in this earth. That you would make us people who create beauty wherever we go. Sometimes that's, for some it's just going to be moral beauty, just a picture of courage and a life of wisdom. Others it's going to be like literal physical art and music and beauty that helps people get in touch with reality. Others it's, it's a moral beauty of pouring into children just like teaching them the way they should go. Um, wherever your life is, some of it's not going to be connected to your job at all. It's like, I work this job so that I can live this other life of meaning and purpose. Um, but God, I pray that we would wake up and begin to put steps to our calendar. Um, we would schedule this. <laughs> I want to end very practical. Would you schedule a sense of reflection on what is my grand meaning of life. God, may you show us your wisdom as you bundle us all together, as you hold all things together, Jesus. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys stand. We're going to worship a couple songs. Um, you can... The night Jesus was betrayed, he took his disciples and said, you know, this is, this, all of this is about me. This, this, this bread is going to represent my body that was broken for you for the joy of your life. Come, take, and eat. This is the way to the good life, is through me. And he, he said, every time you gather, do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. He took a cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Every time you gather, drink. Drink in this cup. Take me in. Take in my life. Renew your covenant with me. Every time we're coming to the table, we're renewing our vows, if you will. We're, we're resetting. We're coming. This, this church community is not just about always song and word. It's about re-covenanting with God. So I pray that as you come to the table, you would, you would do that. Amen. And I'll be available for prayer in the back and some others as well if you need prayer.